Welcome to the new episode of Growthcast. I'm super excited to have my friend Alex Schaefer on this episode. Uh, Alex Schaefer is Deep Crawl's Chief Revenue Officer. In this role, he leads the go-to-market team that span sales, customer success, professional services, operations, and partnerships. Uh, Alex is a seasoned technology and startup executive with 15 years of experience in private equity and venture capital-backed ventures. He has also spent two and a half years with the Peace Corps in Kenya and has a global MBA from INSEAD. He represents DeepCrawl, which is the world's number one technical SEO site monitoring platform that helps users detect opportunities for growth and protects against deploying revenue sapping code. DeepCrawl's technology is trusted by over 50% of the Fortune 500 and all six of the major global group advertising agencies. Alex is here with us to talk about the concept of super funnels. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, Alex, we're going to get right into it. Super funnels is a very, very cool concept that I learned from you uh, two weeks ago. So, what is a super funnel uh, and where did the concept come from? Yeah. So uh, a super funnel, it's the, it's the idea that given where we're at, given that there's such a prevalence of data, given that we have um, more sophisticated and just generally more technology than ever before, you're able to build this super funnel, which is a uh, low-cac, high-throughput, high-lifetime value funnel. So uh, relatively low cost to get stuff in the top, you get as much as possible down at the bottom, and then that, that stays with you as long as possible and generates more revenue. So uh, it's a little bit of a, a it's aspirational, let me use that word, uh, but there are more tools available to create the super funnel than ever before. Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, problem statement that most organizations struggle with. And obviously when they try to create big demand generation goals, a lot of people fail with the operation operationalization operationalization of it uh and so i would love to talk about how should marketers think about creating their own super funnel yeah when you when you have a, a big uh a, a big concept you need to you need to break it down into a few component parts and start with the the two two parts of it there's really there's the, there's the funnel piece uh which is it's the it's the low customer acquisition cost high throughput and then the high lifetime value customer so you start with breaking that out into two different things because they are quite they they impact each other but they're they're quite separate so you know define what your high lifetime value customers are the the perfect ideal customer profile uh, and then you have to think about how do you get them into into your funnel and through to to the bottom uh, as efficiently as possible. So break it into those two different pieces as a starting point. And I think for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to focus and where I'll say my expertise lies in uh, the low CAC, high throughput funnel. Uh, so we'll dig deeply into that today. And if there's some time, we'll talk a little bit the process for going about defining your high LTV customers. Sounds good, Alex. I think that, yeah, one of the optimal goals that we usually try to chase is this 
threes to one or fours to one LTV to CAC ratio in enterprise um, in enterprises. And then the aspirational goal is empowering B2B2B customers with a similar uh, retention rate. For the purposes of this, as you pointed out, we're going to focus on customer acquisition. So net-net, when you think about super funnels um, and, and you think about uh, your high-impact customers, what are the implications for your customer acquisition strategy as they start building out a super funnel? Yeah. Uh, for, first thing, and no, uh, no, no great revelation here, no great unique insight that I'm going to share. It's, first, we need to think in the context of this current environment, which is uh, digital first, a, a G, the uh, UK GM at Salesforce, he defined it as digital only, depends on the industry and depends on the space you're in. But we are still in a world that is predominantly digital. The good thing is the way to build super funnels, the way that uh, it's the, the, the digital channels are where there is now this kind of uh, advancement in technology and obviously in digital channels, that's where you've got the the best chance to to deploy, kind of take insights from data and and uh, have that shape strategy and get better output through uh, from from your funnels. So the first thing is it's kind of understanding how your customers are, uh, how what what are they doing? How is their behavior? What is their buyer journey look like? In this digital first world, and you know, we're a year into the pandemic, but a lot of us, it's every, the situation is evolving quickly. Every every market is is uh, in every kind of customer segment. Whether you're selling to mothers or you're selling to CMOs of enterprises, everyone's behaviors are, are changing quarter over quarter. Um, so it's it you need to think about the strategies that you had pre pre COVID pre pandemic. And think about the things that you did to shape behavior, to shape the buying journey. How does the the changes in the buying journey? How the changes in behaviors uh, as as your your market is going through the buyer's journey? How can you now shape that? What does that look like? Where are they doing the things that they did in the real world? Uh, what do they do? How they ported that over to a, a more digital existence? And how do you shape that? Yeah, I mean, I usually like to think about it like omni-channel journeys as the when the way you're describing it, right? So, if you think about uh, a mother and you describe like um, it could be anything from like an Amazon Prime to Walmart to Honest Company, um, and what you could do, some people are digitally native, right? Depending on yep. the generation that you arrive from, and you want to have a 24 to 48 hour delivery time. In which case, uh, you are focused on timing and convenience. In other ways, it could be somewhere further downstream where people like to actually purchase online, but then obviously it could be a buy online pickup in store. It could be a buy online return in store. It could be a curbside pickup where you're actually adjoining it to, let's say, a grocery delivery and you want to pick it up. And But all these people, because they want some semblance of the routine that they've adopted during yep. the pandemic or a simulation of the routine that they had before, which is via this curbside pickup, as an example, then you need to really map out each one of these customer journeys in a similar format to possibly a decision tree. Obviously, understanding the triggers along the way, this could start from the CRM level, this could start from the CDP, this could start from even a data management platform, uh, starting from a lookalike audience to a hyper-personalized one-to-one 
decisioning system. But you really, to your point, have to get into the weeds of precision marketing. And I think that that will allow people to start developing a more robust customer acquisition strategy where it's not generic, where people feel like not only is the communication personalized, but every little aspect, the micro journey within the customer journey is tailored towards said customer, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and you've said you've said a few things that feed into this this idea of of super funnels and and how to build them in this in in the you know, the April twenty twenty one April first April Fool's Day of uh, <laughs> you know as we're transitioning from the the pandemic world slowly moving into a, a post pandemic world, but we're obviously still a long way away. Is um, there's a, the 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 frameworks are going to be the same. But the way they might be applied and the way they might be executed on are going to be different from a uh, a legacy uh, brick and brick and mortar retail type of business to a a digital first business. And also, they're going to be executed on differently if your primary customer, if your if your ICP is is a is a digital native, or if they are someone who is you know if they're of the an, an older generation, if they're a boomer. Uh, who have just been, you know, ripped into this world, yanked into this world uh, to become much more digital. So, how you think about executing on um, the building a uh, a super funnel? It's going to be different in context to context, but I do believe the the framework applies. It's going to be the same framework. You also talked about something that is becoming more and more possible is the ability to leverage physical assets. So, really, we're important as we move to. Uh, to a post-pandemic world, to gradually uh, to responsibly leverage physical assets, uh, it's everyone is craving normalcy. People are looking to get back to uh, a world that is not so constrained. And physical assets, you mentioned a, a few things that were very innovative six nine months ago: curbside pickup, uh, buy online, pick up in store. But these are the little things that that the little tactics that make the difference between winning. In this digital first world, and just you know, completely falling behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, you know, I want to draw upon like three examples. There's like William Sonoma that gets seventy percent of its sales via e-commerce. Yeah. Have people in a historical context would think about a furniture store. William Sonoma owns properties like Pottery Barn, etc. And they would think like, how would that they even fathom that they're not going into a flagship store setting, feeling, etc. But there's an element of like you know, uh, 360 views, yep. uh, potential AR integrations too, that is taking over that is that people are now embracing as the new normal from an e-commerce standpoint. There's Nike, which is like also giving you the ability like Zappos to, uh, you know, we'll ship it to you, but you can return it. There are other industries that are analogous to it, like uh, capsule, for example, that does 24 hour to 48 hour capsule delivery, like pills, right? Like pill pack. Uh, and you normally would go into CVS and Walgreens to actually pick up your prescriptions, but now you don't yeah. have to do that. And that is analogous to like, all right, I understand my customer. I understand what's important to them. I need to give them generic prices versus like uh, proper prices, like, you know, branded prices, but then also sending it directly to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think there's the, the, one of the big points, the, one of the big things that yeah, we're we're in the uh, technology world, and 
the thing that we are seeing the best performing CMOs, the best performing marketing organizations, one of the key things, it's simply having the modern tech stack of uh, this is this is one of the 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 core pillars to to the super funnel concept. It's understanding what the current technologies that that are out there that help you deliver outsized return and getting them within your tech stack. Second, getting the talent that understands this new digital first world, understands technology, is very, very quantitative. Uh, even in, in roles that maybe were more creative previously, the, there's just so much data. And the smarter that a, a marketing organization can be, the more that they have that quantitative analytical skill set in, in every single function with, within the marketing organization. The, the more effective they're, they're going to be. And then kind of these two, then goes the, a final piece that goes hand in hand. It's simply, you got to be really disciplined and really sophisticated about measuring ROI and, and being ruthless and understanding what's working, what's not working. As certain spends are, have diminishing ROI, re- redirect that to, to other places where you're seeing that there is uh, much greater potential. Yeah, so the flexible budgeting for ROI is a very, very important one. I think that during the pandemic, a lot of organizations had to move month to month versus quarterly to because every organization was struggling about like what's going to be the next month strategy, let alone the next. Right, is the world falling off the rails completely, or is it only you know for going off course for a little bit? And you have to have dynamic budgeting and dynamic ROI, which is something that people are coveting right now. And you alluded to so three important things that I want the listeners to take away from what you just mentioned, which was the Martech stack, the resources that go with it, and this idea of dynamic budgeting slash dynamic ROI. With related to Martech stack, because a lot of, let's say, people that are uh, want to prepare themselves and their organizations for this digitally native, uh, some of it being permanent, some of it being in a hybrid model, uh, are, are there things around like tools around social media, uh, paid search, website analytics, or marketing automation that you'd recommend that uh, are very useful that they should consider? Yeah, yeah. And that's... Um... Uh, ab- absolutely. So, connecting it to what we were talking about a-, a little bit earlier of understanding where people are going, understanding where people are spending more time online now, understanding where your customers in particular, uh, how they're going about the buying process and and everything that that feeds that leads up to up to the buying process. So, you need to know which channels have the greatest amount of activity. Uh, that are the sort of inflection points of your of your customer's buying process, but from there that and that should feed into what what to invest in in, in terms of tech stack because there is a limit. You can't get right. the most modern, the best, the highest grade everything. But um, social media, the the it is uh, getting the the ROI of most most social media. Ad spends it it is eroding. Uh, there's there's interesting numbers from segment to segment, but we're seeing that you know it's anywhere from uh, its cost is anywhere thirty to fifty percent higher to get the same type of type of output for uh, certain categories. That's still fine, but certain categories it starts to get to the beyond the the point of where ROI makes sense. There's technologies out there 
Like uh, there's much more sophisticated social media monitoring and social media analytics. Sprout Social uh, is a good sort of mid-market, not hugely expensive technology. Sprinkler is a little bit more on the enterprise side. Falcon.io, that's another one that's... yeah, you know, we're not not advocating for any specific technology, but these are the types of technologies that you should be looking into and trying to understand. If if social media is a big channel for you, then take a look at these technologies. Uh, there's a whole slew of um, pretty pretty uh, re- really basic but incredibly useful tools that Google pays uh, that Google provides that um, helps you understand basically how to spend more money through them. So they're gonna they're gonna equip you with that. Uh, the the area where where deep crawl is the where we operate in and where we see some really insane um, growth over the last year in particular, but it is in the the organic the SEO space. So there's a whole set of technologies are, that are out there now that can help you make the absolute most out of what is actually the largest channel of traffic online. So. Uh, it's 50% of 51% of all traffic to an end website other than Google starts from Google, starts from a Google search. And purchasing related uh, traffic, it's anywhere from 40% to, to 60% w- within different segments. So there is a big ripe opportunity to, to mine that huge, huge, huge pool of traffic, but you need to use the right technology uh, and analytics to understand kind of what your current performance is and, and really optimizing the site for both the user experience and uh, so that it ranks as high as possible within uh, in, in Google. These are the things that can be a, make a, a really, really big difference. Two, two, two examples really quickly. One is simply uh, building off of the one of, of Nike. Like their, their digital sales grew 75%. In in 2020, they do really sophisticated stuff with their with their user experience, all types of uh, really cool design capabilities on the site. If you can, even if you're not a a shoe head, you can easily spend a half hour hour on their website just playing around with the different technologies they have because it's it's really cool. Uh, but they also invest heavily in in SEO. They are they have a big team. They invest in the te- technology infrastructure. They think about their their website experience not not just from the user but also from um, from the search engine's perspective and and they kill it in organic and that's helped feed that seventy five percent growth in in twenty twenty in in their digital sales uh, and a different in the financial services there's another Motley Fool they are also a a digital first business but they have absolutely killed it they they had a three hundred percent growth. In uh, organic traffic and and revenue associated from the organic channel, and they have a, a they had a pretty old clunky website, and they've just in- invested in better user experience. They've invested in the site monitoring. They've invested in uh, all the little things, all the the, the sort of strong uh, nuts and bolts, strong foundation of technical health that then enable good user experiences, fast, seamless uh, user journeys within the website. And also that tend to rank really high within Google. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So there's a few things that I want to call out. One is that um, organizations have become very dynamic with like taking on the tech stack in-house and they've created these things called centers of excellence 
where they are obviously what you alluded to before with the flexible budgeting resources and MarTech stack. They use all that to create solutions in-house and then, of course, deploy it from a Skunk Works project into a real-world implementation. Uh, but it definitely starts at the POC phase. Um, now, organizations that I think you alluded to Nike. So Nike has something called Valiant Labs. Valiant Labs actually does have a lot of its new technology that they prototype and then they deploy over different platforms, right? Maybe mobile, uh, social, uh, or even their web platform. And it gives people an insight into how to try some of these uh, new shoes, or it gives them a feeling of some replace. Um, a replacement to the store or yes. an augmentation to the store. The second piece of that uh, was, uh, I think about as BC BCG Digital Ventures, right? So BCG Digital Ventures has, is a very interesting innovation engine, which is um, how can you build skunkwork projects that are, let's say I will build a, a brand new company that is spun out that will eventually move into as a portco portfolio company, a subsidiary into a customer's overall thing. And, and BCG Digital Ventures would have part equity uh, along with, let's say, a Nike, Williams-Sonoma, et cetera. But BCG Digital Ventures will be responsible for the problem and the product market fit and then hand it off to a large organization. And that model also employs a certain amount of growth via tools like uh, the ones that you mentioned. There are other ones that are marketing automation like HubSpot, Marketo. Yeah, we also yeah, use yeah. tools like SimilarWeb, SEMrush, and RFs, which could be interesting. But they, but they definitely take it to a growth level that companies can then be like, all right, we're ready for it to be run within in-house. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, to, to um, the one category of technology, two specific technologies that I highly recommend that maybe aren't completely mainstream at this point is the similar web in, in SEMrush. If you are sitting in a position where you don't fully understand what you're, you, you don't feel like you have good insights into the way that your, your customer's online behavior has changed, similar web and SEMrush in particular, HREFs, they also uh, provide similar data, but it's tons and tons of useful insight around what people are doing across every single digital channel. Um, it's, it's almost overwhelming how much data they have, but you can, there's, a, there's a ton you can learn. It's great for targeting new potential, um, to potential to market segments to identify trends to, for you to, to capitalize on. So tons, tons of, uh, of online search, behavioral, transactional trends, that are that can be really really useful uh, for forming a strategy and then helping you you decide how much resources to deploy on uh, different opportunities. Yeah, Semrush recently IPO'd yeah, and um, yeah. yeah, they're I think they're going to do really really well. They have built a unique moat, uh, and I think Sprout Social and uh, one of the other Martech players that I want to call it was SharpSpring. They're doing exceptionally well in this digital arena. In terms of advertising players, um, we've seen actually our ad tech coming back right now too. If you even look at the uh, uh, the performance of them in the public equity market, uh, everything from a Pubmatic to an Cutie uh, Ads to uh, a Magnite, uh, there is a surge and a revival 
Uh, and a lot of uh, what I'm seeing now as an increasing trend is the blend between MarTech and AdTech, which is how can you actually employ e-commerce advertising as a potential channel for that will start there, but then eventually will end uh, at the site or both mobile or web uh, of a brand, uh, which is becoming increasingly popular, this concept of shoppable ads, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a final, somewhat, somewhat connected to this, and this is a big area of focus of our, our technology um, investment and in our R&D is, in, is, is simply it's, uh, it's operationalizing marketing and marketing technology and internal connect, connectivity between engineers and, and different marketing teams where there's the ability to execute on any given marketing strategy. It's more and more reliant on, on the tech stack and the ability to customize, uh, get efficiencies, uh, use data in a smarter way, connect APIs, pull everything into data lakes. There's a ton that is, that is uh, relied on now from marketing teams. Um, the, the reliance is in the, with the engineering organization. So building great relationships with the engineering organization uh, investing in technology that that will automate and create efficiencies to help your engineers and help your CTO to more efficiently deliver on the kind of tech stack and and the the marketing product roadmap uh, that is needed to 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 execute on strategy. The, the further you're going to go, and that's another area. Most sophisticated organizations are seeing some of the most successful. That's the kind of stuff they're working on. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that uh, we, we see a ton of potential in, in terms of unlocking value for businesses and for us in, in creating our technology platform. Alex, I'm glad you brought up that point because a lot of people think that the problem just lies with the advertising slash marketing folks and you have to bring product and engineering into the journey. Um, and I think that that is, when you think about even build and buy, some organizations think that they would like to buy stuff in-house. But instead of like thinking about that, the relationship with an ISV could also be a build. It's just that you're not building the entire stack. You're inviting them into part of the workflow is a necessary, let's call it conceptual change in the mind of product and engineering. And that communication has to be delivered uh, from the uh, marketing team and the ISV who would be working in concert with the uh, digital marketing team. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are more, uh, there are more, and I would put deep crawl <coughs> within this realm, but incredibly high quality pieces of technology that solve a pretty specific set of problems. And those technologies are, they're in the enterprise context, they are going to be most powerful if they can connect to other technologies and to be part right. of a, a kind of bigger, broader technology platform and technology stack, uh, but you know it's it starts with having finding technologies that solve really define really acute problems, and and you know then if from if you have all the development resources in the world, sure build. But more and more, it's like just bring in this 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 uh, a vertical piece of technology, and as long as that piece of technology has a great API, which our naturally deep crawls does. Uh, then you can just connect it into wherever it needs to connect to, build that automation, build efficiency, have data flowing to whatever teams need data that's going to be generated from a piece of technology. 
Yeah, I mean, so I, I want to summarize this. And uh, Alex, thank you for joining this episode. But for everybody's uh, broader super funnels, obviously, is the high CAC, high throughput. Um, sorry, a low CAC, high throughput, high yeah, lifetime value um, concept. Uh, and a lot of it starts with where you are in your business, right? Do you drive like the larger portions from existing customers or new customers? Now, if customer acquisition is a big part of the funnel, which in most cases it is, you have to start thinking about the three pillars that Alex laid out, which is your MarTech stack, your resources, and your dynamic budget slash analytics, right? Or, or ROI. In the MarTech stack, there are different tools that can be at your disposal with your marketing automation, SEO, SCM, and you have to really understand what is the marketing budget that you have uh, and how many campaigns do you want to run, uh, how many searches, how many customers are searching for you based on a comprehensive like equation, if you will, you would start layering in three, five vendors that will work with your engineering team to build out your full stack. With that, you have to have a complementary resource team, uh, which is demand gen specialist. It could be SEO specialist, could be a, a, a CM specialist, or it could be somebody who's a full stack marketeer, but somebody that understands all these different tools and is basically working towards optimizing. Obviously, you don't want to employ too many customer acquisition strategies from the get-go, so yeah. it is a iterative learning process. So I highly recommend that you take one channel at a time. But it starts with the customer journey in terms of who the customer is, where do they lie, how much data do we have, can we hyper-personalize it to get to that omni-channel holy grail. And then finally, when it comes to dynamic ROI or budgeting, it is now that we know that like budgets may change and customers may change, and we're looking at a more precise category of customers to facilitate this let's call it higher ROAS or return on ad spend or, or and higher um, uh, lower CPM, uh, we are basically going to be have to be more nimble and flexible. And so from the perspective of an ISV, if it means that you have to get into monthly and quarterly billing and invoicing to make the necessary adjustments would be huge and or coming up with a contract where the customer feels like it's flexible so that they don't have uh, you know, large break clauses could be somewhat useful so that they feel it's flexible. They're not tethered to it. And as you get out of the pandemic, right, you feel like uh, the customer feels like this ISV was a big partner in participating in not only my times of strife, but my times of growth, then I will get that success. So with that, Alex, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We were Super excited to have you to bring in this super funnel concept. Um, yeah, thank you so thank, much. Thank you very much and, and great summary at the end there.